0: There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up.
1: Welcome and thank you for joining us. My name is Derek Saul, host of the Cameron Chronicles, and we are here recording on Saturday, December 7th. I'm joined here by co-host Shane Smith. And Shane is fresh off of uh, of Blacksburg. He was in he was in Virginia for Duke's 77-63 win over Virginia Tech. And it's been a little while since we've last sat down and talked. So we're going to start with you know the, probably the biggest story of Duke's season. Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin uh, two weeks ago, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, at home at Cameron. And Shane, you were there also. What happened? Well,
0: big story of that game had to be points in the paint. 64 points in the paint given up by Duke. Kevon Harris for Stephen F. Austin was amazing. And, you know, to be honest, looking back at the game, yes, 150-game non-conference home-winning streak snapped, first time since February 2000. But I think moving forward that, you know, this is going to be a good thing for Duke. You need a little punch in the mouth here, ranked number one at the time. You know, Coach K said... That, you know, this team really expected to win from the start, and you can't really have that mindset going into any game. But, you know, I think going forward, this is going to be good for them that they got this punch in the mouth.
1: Coming into the season, if I had to pick one game that to really not pay attention to, not that you ever should do that, and then I guess you should never overlook any game, but this Stephen F. Austin team is, was not a team that I really would have ever expected Duke to lose to. Um, we've seen the Lumberjacks. We've seen the Lumberjacks really play well over the last few seasons. They won an NCAA tournament game, and they had uh, Walkup, who was a really, really strong player. He was he was very exciting. I remember him in the NCAA tournament. But this isn't a team that ranks highly in Ken Palm or other efficiency metrics, and they really stole this game from Duke. And as you mentioned, Harris really stood out in the first half. I think he had 20-plus points in the first half, right? 20 points, yeah. Yeah, and he was absolutely dominant, and it really – it's not like Duke blew a huge lead. I mean, they, yeah, Stephen F. Austin really looks like the better team the whole game. Well, I mean,
0: like you mentioned, Stephen F. Austin's not the greatest team, not even close to what Duke's going to face this season. And you would expect that streak to be lost on maybe a Big Ten ACC challenge or something like that. But, you know, Stephen F. Austin, they came in. They looked like they wanted to win. they at the start. They forced turnovers, number one in the nation and forced turnovers per game. And they have that winning pedigree, like you mentioned, and I think that really gave them the confidence throughout the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, and then after the Stephen F. Austin game, Duke hosted another non-conference opponent at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and honestly, they got another scare. Uh, they ended up, they beat Winthrop 83-70 to on Friday, and... You, I know you were there as well you've you've been uh you've been crushing uh, going to pretty much every oh yeah <laughs> uh covering everything for us but in that game I mean honestly that was a more I, I don't want to say that was a more disappointing result than Stephen F. Austin but but you expect great teams to really bounce back from losses and look even better um, I mean that's something of uh, across every sport of the the, the Pat- Bill Belichick's Patriots like are are known for that after losing they they always have a big week after, and Duke simply didn't look good against Winthrop.
0: No, my my biggest takeaway from that game was, like you said, you expect Duke to come out there and have a fire. They want to get Stephen F. Austin game you know, in the back of their heads, and they just look timid offensively. They you know looked like they were doing one too, one too many extra passes and then on other times they come down and it was too much isolation ball and you know even the injury to Cassius Stanley which is worth mentioning you know went up on a breakaway layup had an awkward jump and after that you know it just seemed it just seemed like Duke was out of it just mentally there until the second half where they were able to pull away and you know thank goodness Duke had Joey Baker because he's really emerging right now. Had, I think, 16 points in that game on some really effective shooting. And, uh, you know, a win is a win, but it certainly wasn't the prettiest there against Winthrop.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Joey Baker was the star in that Winthrop game. He scored 16 points on 6 of 7 shooting and 4 of 5 from 3. And he was a guy that I think most people would have expected him to either not be in the rotation or to be the clear ninth man in that rotation. Of yeah, he'll probably maybe he'll average eight minutes a game, but he's not really a threat to to you know log twenty plus minutes a game. But he's really yeah, he's he's emerged for Duke and he's been exactly what they need and I have I've personally I've been a big proponent of Alex O'Connell over the last few seasons of I've really seen Duke needing that scoring punch off the bench a guy that you know can be a spot-up shooter but also can create his own shot I mean Duke's really struggled with that over the last few years of with outside shooting and Joey Baker is an Alex O'Connell that is, honestly, he's just a better person for Alex O'Connell. Um, he's bigger, he's stronger, and he seems more confident. And we have seen, while Baker has risen in prominence, O'Connell has started to take a backseat. I mean, he actually, O'Connell had a very nice stretch at the end of the Duke-Virginia Tech game Friday night, but Baker has been exactly what Duke's needed of. They have... The, they honestly, if you you look at this roster, there's really there aren't too many guys that, that look like they are perimeter scoring threats, and Baker has emerged, and his emergence continued even um, to Duke's win over Michigan State on Tuesday when Duke won 87-75, and there are a lot more takeaways from the Duke Michigan State game than that, which we'll get into in a little bit. But just seeing Joey Baker, I mean, even step up against a, a big opponent. I mean, it's it's not it's not particularly surprising to see him score and do well against Winthrop, where he is, he, you're confident in his athleticism going up against the Eagles, but against a team like Michigan State, honestly, I mean, I was very surprised to see him really hang, he played 17 minutes that game, again, scored 11 points, and That's really been exactly what Duke needs. I mean, Duke needs a guy like Baker or Alex O'Connell to really step up and cement themselves a consistent part of the rotation.
0: Well, you know, Joey Baker's definitely picking up some of the slack that Alex O'Connell's leaving on three-point shooting. You know, you expect Alex O'Connell, you know, he's been a knockdown three-point shooter his entire career at Duke, but only shooting 21.9% on the season, and... That's a, that's just another point to Alex O'Connell that he can stay in the rotation. Didn't shoot particularly well against Virginia Tech, but you know Mike Shishovsky said after the game that O'Connell played well and it was really his his impact outside of shooting and that's you know that's definitely promising for Duke going forward. But like you said in that Michigan State game, Joey Baker just I think he banked in that one three, uh, just really you know for a sophomore that only played. You know, I think it was five, six games last season. For him to come in, not really seem like part of the rotation there at the start, and then just to shoot with his confidence. He's not just knocking down open threes. He's coming down in transition, getting one look at the basket with a defender in his face and just rising up and knocking it down. And I think that's going to bode pretty well for Duke, especially, you know, Wendell Moore hasn't been shooting great. Cassius Stanley hasn't turned into that. Obviously, there's hurt. Carey can knock down a jumper and Trey Jones is looking you know fairly fairly good from three but Baker I think he's going to cement himself you know six seven man in that rotation
1: yeah and it's been a really common theme when talking about Duke for the entirety of the season but honest I was pretty dubious coming coming in that Coach K would be running a nine ten man rotation and He's stuck to his word. He talked in, about the season of being a balanced team, and they have really been balanced. It's been 10 guys that have contributed, and really, I mean, all 10 of them have had their moments. We saw Jordan Goldwire step up against Virginia Tech, Javin Delorier against Michigan State, Wendell Moore against, against Virginia Tech. I mean, really, all 10 of these guys have had their their huge moments, and the fact that or what, 15 minutes into this podcast and we haven't mentioned the names of Trey Jones or Vernon Carey yet— Mm-hmm. And, obviously, those are Duke's two best players, and by, by a pretty wide margin. I mean, especially we've seen Vernon Carey emerge as, honestly, a National Player of the Year candidate, and we could talk a little bit about that more later. But this is a really balanced team. It's Honestly, it's quite weird. of where I'm really used to a Duke team that has a, a six- or seven-man rotation, and they have ten guys. Well,
0: Mike Krzyzewski definitely this year doesn't have, you know, three or four guys that you – You can't take off the court. You can't take, you know, Zion Williamson or an RJ Barrett off the court for more than five, six minutes a game. He really doesn't have that guy outside of Trey Jones this year. And I think that honestly, people have been doubting Coach K a little bit over these last couple years on, you know, the team's ability to not to not reach that, you know, final goal of a Final Four national championship. But I think he's really showing this year that he can kind of toy around with these lineups against, you know, Virginia Tech. It was not a game suited for big men. And instead of leaving, you know, Carey and Matthew Hurt and Javon Deloria on the court for a long time, he experimented. He's, he's not, you know, he's not going to leave Carey out there this year if it's, if it's not for the, you know, if it's not the right matchup for him and, you know the Virginia Tech game was a game that it was a small ball game. Jack White at the five, and you know I think Shishetsky's got a lot of tools that uh, at his disposal this year, and he's really making good use of it.
1: And looking now at at Vernon Carey's uh, stats, and honestly the most surprising number I've seen with Duke basketball this year, Vernon Carey's averaging twenty three point eight minutes per game. And to your point, um, it's. Coach K has really adapted a lot. And Carey is also, I mean, he's Duke's best player and he's a star, but he's not someone that would succeed at, at playing 30 plus minutes a game. I mean, he's great in short bursts, but he's, you know, he is that big burly center that you don't you don't want to be overworking. And we've really seen him be dominant. And now let's go into that Michigan State game of it was probably Vernon Carey's best game of the season. Uh, considering considering the opponent, and Duke wins eighty seven seventy five on the road in East Lansing, and Vernon Carey puts up a monstrous twenty six point eleven rebound performance, uh, and most importantly, nine of twelve from the line, and he really was, he really was the the guy that that was the motor for the Blue Devils. Well, and there's definitely
0: you know something a little personal there for Carey. He uh, his recruitment came down mostly to Duke and Michigan State there at the end with him ultimately picking the Blue Devils. And, you know, for the life of me, I can't understand why Michigan State didn't start doubling, you know, five minutes into the game because it was just constantly Trey Jones feeding Carey down low. I think Trey Jones had 10 assists, if I'm not, 12 assists. I was selling them short, 12 assists. <laughs> and, um, you know, Kerry just... Just proved why he was used the top recruit coming in and honestly i'm I'm kind of baffled why he's not getting more nBA draft notice at this point he's not showing up in the lottery on most mock drafts, but i mean he's shooting sixty six percent from three point range he's started to knock down his free throws hit twenty of his last 26 free throws and i mean look at his frame like it's a modern nBA where you can shoot the ball but if you got a big man, you know, 6'10, 270 pounds that can go down there and get you a bucket, he's gonna be valuable. I think he's worthy of a top ten pick right now.
1: Yeah, well while I do agree with you I think he probably should be a top ten pick, the saying that he's a sixty-six percent uh three point shooter, he's four of six. So um we don't need to <laughs> I mean we don't I, I don't think you can you can guide. Uh, he's I, knocking him down. <laughs>
0: That's all I gotta say.
1: Um but I think a lot of that is because, he's yeah, again, he's playing 23.8 minutes per game. He's not someone that profiles as being a 30-plus-minute-per-game guy, but I think he will be effective in the NBA, um, and I assume he will. I would be really surprised if he's not a lottery pick come, come June. I think he will end up being one done done and declaring for that. But it's been really interesting to see how teams have defended him. I mean, we saw last night against for Virginia Tech, I mean, they were triple-teaming him. But he's a guy that if he gets the ball within six feet of the basket, it's going to be a bucket. Or it's at least going to be a good a good look or a foul. And if he can hit his free throws at even a 70% clip, I mean, he's unstoppable. And that kind of makes Duke unstoppable. I mean, he's someone that he scores basically a point for every minute he's in the game. I mean, he's... He is Duke's ball-dominant option, and you really can turn to him when you need a bucket. That was was one of my big concerns coming to the year of, I didn't think that Duke had a guy that, you know, it's a close game, and they they really need a basket, and I didn't think Duke really had a guy, and Carey has proven that if he gets the ball inside, he can do that. Uh, We actually even saw him take it off the dribble for, uh, he had a nice uh, steal, fast-break dunk, which was really cool to see. Not too many guys of his stature can do that. Um, and we, we got spoiled with Zion Williamson last year, if we saw that all the time. Um, yeah, I was, I was expecting him to do a 360 there, and he, he disappointed me. <laughs> yeah, Vernon Carey's definitely not going to do any 360s. Um, but we've also seen Trey Jones really step up as that guy, and I was pretty skeptical of Trey Jones' ability to step up offensively this year. I mean, last year we saw he really took a backseat to his other freshman, and rightfully so, because Specifically Zion Williams and RJ Barrett are arguably the two best scorers in college basketball last year Um, And we saw Trey really struggle with his shot, but we've seen him really step up this year And honestly, I've been really impressed with his ability to make shots off the dribble Well,
0: I think last year the moment where, you know, I kind of thought that Trey's Trey might have a big step up this year is that Florida State game in the ACC in the ACC tournament the championship game he really took over there in the second half you know finishing at the rim and that mid-range jump shot it is elite it's no fluke and he's getting a lot of his scoring there and when you look at that Michigan State game, that was a hundred percent something personal you know you saw the emotion that he had after that. Final game uh, in the Elite Eight, you know, crying on the court, really wanted that title with his fellow freshman. But he came out against Cassius Winston, and, oh, boy, like 20 points, 12 assists, and, hel- and holding Cassius Winston to 4 of 14 shooting for just 12 points. It was, you know, Trey definitely came out there to prove a point that he's one of the best point guards in the country. I don't think that's a question at this point.
1: Yeah, but the big thing – the big question with Trey Jones at this point is we have seen – last year, he was – the thing he did best was he wasn't turning the ball over as a point guard, and he wasn't – honestly, he wasn't that ball dominant, so that wasn't – that's a flawed stat. I mean, assist-to-turnover ratio, it's fun to look at, but it really is – it really can be flawed because he wasn't really a playmaker last year. I shouldn't say he wasn't a playmaker, but he wasn't Duke's primary playmaker last year, and he wasn't the guy that – you know, and the, that the ball ended up in his hands with six seconds left in the shot clock. But we have seen his turnovers double. He, he's averaging more than three turnovers a game. And against Stephen F. Austin turned ball over eight times in that Michigan State game where I'm not saying that Trey didn't play really well. I mean, he was the best point guard on the floor that night, but he did have six turnovers. I mean, is that, is that something you're worried about with him? Well, I'm going to turn it over to
0: the big man himself. Krzyzewski said after the Winthrop game, You know, they're not really concerned about Trey's turnover problems, and I really don't think Duke should be either. I mean, Trey's playing, you know, close to the entire game every night out, uh, minus blowouts. And like you said, he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's the one, you know, with the shot clocks winding down, they're going to give him the ball. I'm not really worried about Trey Jones, but, you know, Turnovers are part of the game. Dukes Dukes turn people over; they're getting turned over. As long as you know you score eighty-seven points against Michigan State, I don't care if you have six, seven turnovers.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's something that's that concerning. I mean, honestly, it's jarring when you're looking at a box score. But again, I mean, I, I don't know the usage rate numbers off my head, but he probably is twice the usage rate this year compared to last year. I mean, we knew that coming in, and he has played pretty admirably. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's something that's definitely a concern for Duke as a whole. And again, I don't think that's really coming from Trey Jones, but we're seeing with the other guards, you're, I, I like you're looking up uh, Cole Anthony's turnovers right yeah, now. Yeah, Cole Anthony's averaging,
0: <laughs> you know, two and a half turnovers a game. He's his usage race through the roof like yeah. it's just what's yeah, gonna yeah. happen These, um, it's not the star power of former teams you know
1: yeah, I over. honestly what I think is the bigger concern and we saw when Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin against Winthrop too where Duke's turning the ball over a lot as a team and it's really from the other guards that are making errant passes I mean I can think of a lot Wendell Moore is someone that the turnovers do scare me um, you see him make a lot of boneheaded boneheaded mistakes where it just errant passes and what Honestly, annoys me the most of watching Duke this year so far has been when Wendell Moore just doesn't stop dribbling. I mean, he's not—aside from Trey Jones, there's no one that should be putting it on the floor for 15 seconds, and Wendell Moore will do that, and there have been a couple instances where it basically puts his head down as dribbling and it ends up in turnover. Um, But now moving to Duke's win against Virginia Tech when Duke won 77-63, I've been an outspoken critic of Wendell Moore, and I felt pretty vindicated in the first half, but Wendell Moore was really one of Duke's best players, Um, and he played really well, ended up with 12 points, and he was part of that five-man rotation towards the end of the game, that It was really tightly contested. It was back and forth. Duke kind of winning by 14, but Duke didn't take its final lead of the game until five or six minutes left in the contest. Um, And I guess, what did you see out of Wendell last night? Well, you know, early there in the second half,
0: I want to say it was like five minutes in. Wendell Moore had one of the most wide-open layups in a half-court set you could ever see and just rolled it right off the front of the rim and hadn't scored to that point. It... It just wasn't looking good. I honestly thought that Wendell Moore had a chance to fall out of the rotation. But I think Duke down, it was 46 45 and had a baseline out of balance play. Jerry Jones just lobbed it to Moore, got him an easy bucket, and he just really took over from there, hit a nice mid range jumper. And his defensive ability can't be understated. Uh, Landers Nolly came into that game averaging 20 points per game, third in the ACC. And Duke just completely shut him down. And, you know, in most part, thanks to Wendell Moore, Nolly had seven points and nine turnovers. And, yeah, Nolly's a freshman. He's kind of adjusting to ACC play, too. But Moore had those 12 points, and, but his defensive ability was, you know, probably what you know, won Duke the game there at the end.
1: Yeah, and I don't know, I'm making another Patriots reference, I have no idea why, <laughs> but Bill Belichick, the Patriots are notorious for, they'll take out your best option uh, on offense, and so they'll say, you know, your, your best wide receiver is getting double covered, you're not passing to him, beat us any other way, and we've seen Duke really do that all season. Um, the first game of the year against Kansas, Udo Kazubike, he was really completely shut down by Duke. Cassius Winston of Michigan State, Landers Nolley of Virginia Tech. All those guys had probably the worst games of the season against Duke, and I'm missing a couple examples there. But those are three of – those are maybe the three best players that Duke has played this year, and all three of them did not have good games. And it's really interesting to see how that has clearly been Duke's strategy is they they look at it and they're saying we – your best guy's not going to beat us and with a team like Virginia Tech that they're not deep and if you're gonna take out their best player I mean uh, it was a close game for it was a close game for the majority of the night but Duke was clearly the better team and if Landers Nolly isn't going to be performing then I don't Virginia Tech doesn't have a chance at winning
0: well no it's funny because Virginia Tech really had the same mindset because as you mentioned yeah. they were triple <laughs> teaming Vernon Carey, you know, for some always double-teaming, bringing some triple-teams, too. You know, and that really forced, you know, guys like Moore to step up there. Goldwire, really the star of the night there for Duke, hit two threes early, you know, provided some great defense. Was Duke's leading rebounder, tied for it with Trey Jones. And, you know, like, like we mentioned earlier, it's a balanced team. Different guys are stepping up different nights. And Virginia Tech, if they want to take away Vernon Carey, Duke's proven that they're gonna have those options to step up and you know pick up the slack.
1: Yeah, and we'd be remiss to talk about this Virginia Tech game not without talking about Jordan Goldwire, who he had his biggest moment of this season and probably the second biggest moment of his career. I mean, he was an instrumental part to that Duke Louisville comeback, which is, I honestly is probably high. It's probably Duke's top moment since the national championship in twenty fifteen. I mean, that was just. At least individual game-wise, I mean, winning the ACC tournament, but that, I mean, I I can't imagine a a more exciting game to watch, and that was absolutely insane, and Goldwire was a big part of that, but we saw him similarly perform well against Virginia Tech, and actually, he looked good offensively. Yeah, Goldwire, you know, you remember
0: back to the UCF game there in the tournament, and it's just funny, just watching – you know central florida slack off jones and goldwire so much It was just it was almost like they were in the gym by themselves and Goldwire's obviously putting him in some work trey jones also putting in some work there from three duke's not going to be a team like you can you can double vernon carey but it's not you mike young said after the game virginia tech's head coach they were, they were open looks and Goldwire's proven that he can make them and you know, as long as as long as he can make those, you're not gonna be able to put that much pressure on Kerry.
1: Yeah, and if you're putting out Trey Jones, Jordan Goldwire, and Wendell Moore, that's the defense-first mindset, and Duke's not going to give up points there. Um, but. Duke's not giving up points coming into the season. If you told me they're running that lineup out there, I'd say, well, they they wouldn't score either. And I, I think I don't know if I said on this podcast, but you know, it, I I thought it was funny of you. You could run out. You could realistically run out a lineup of Jones, Goldwire, Wendell Moore, Jack White, Javon Delorier, and it could be a zero zero game. <laughs> uh, or, I mean, if Duke wants to become Virginia, that's how they run those five out there, and they could probably win a game forty to thirty eight. Um, but the fact that we've seen all of those guys and specifically Wendell Moore and Goldwire really step up and be at least capable offensively, I mean, the, the key for Goldwire, it's not that he needs to become a 40% three-point shooter, but if he can become a 30% three-point shooter and really just show the confidence in shooting it, I mean, it's, it's not so much whether it can go in, it's just whether people will actually guard him. Because if you're playing in a half-court offense and there's a guy that... The defense just isn't guarding. I mean, it's, it's impossible. Then if then the defense is able to triple-team Vernon Carey, and you, you can't score that way. So seeing Goldwater become more confident in his shot is really a good omen for the Blue Devils. And I think, you know, probably the biggest
0: takeaway from me, and I, I wrote a little bit about this after the game, was Duke really showed that they could adjust. It was a great, great environment, very loud in Castle Coliseum. Friday night. And, you know, Duke was down 12 points early, couldn't really get an offensive rhythm going, and they were giving up a ton of points in the paint again. And they really found a way to adjust. The, you know, Vernon Carey said after the game, the guards really locked down, you know, kept them from penetrating to the basket. Duke didn't shoot themselves in the free throw, uh, shoot themselves in the foot on free throws, excuse me, because the biggest thing that pops out there on the box score. 10 for 10 from the line, you know, great, 100% for a team that's really struggled. They're, I think, ranked 271st in free throw percentage in the country coming into the game. And, you know, first game of ACC play can always be tough. And I really liked how Duke responded there, Uh, you know, going forward in in a hostile environment. I think they can use those lessons moving forward.
1: Uh, One last stat that I really like before we wrap up is that Duke is now up to 68.9% from the line, which is 205th in the country, which is not good, but being mediocre is an improvement from being horrible. Um, But uh, ironically, they've actually outshot their opponents by almost 6% from the line. Their opponents are shooting 63.2%. So maybe it's not an issue with how Duke's shooting from the line. Maybe just the the rims aren't forgiving enough in the course they're playing at. Yeah. but Duke will have a pretty long break right now. We're, we're coming up on finals week for at here at Duke, and the players will all get off. And the next time Duke will be in action is December 19th against Wofford. I know, Shane, this was a game you had circled on the calendar as this was the game you thought Duke was going to lose their non-conference home winning streak or potentially lose it.
0: Potentially, um, yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but obviously that already happened. And then Duke will have another break for the holidays, and we'll play again against Brown at Cameron Indoor Stadium, December twenty eighth. So we're really we're looking at one game in the next twenty two days.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned, that Wofford game, obviously the the streak sits at one right now. It's not very it's not very <laughs> prominent, but you know that's a team they want to. And you know they've had some they've had some success. I think last year they went. Uh, undefeated in their conference, lost, you know, one or two games all season. And they lo- they lost their star Fletcher McGee, who's an absolute sharpshooter, but they got some guys like Nathan Hoover, Storm Murphy, great backcourt. They've got some they've got some real championship pedigree and they could give Duke fits.
1: Yeah, and thank you very much for joining us. We will be taking a bit of a break as well. And we'll have another episode coming over, coming to you over winter break. Both Duke take and break, we're gonna, we're gonna take it easy too. And thank you very much for joining us for the Cameron Chronicles, the Duke Chronicle. I'm your host Eric Saul here with Shane Smith, and thank you.